welcome to Leveraging Leadership, where we unpack the art of business leadership. I'm your host, Emily Sander, C-suite executive turned leadership coach. Danny, how are you doing? How's your week going? Oh, it's fantastic, Emily. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for spreading some joy in the world. We need a lot more, at least. <laughs> oh, thank you. Likewise. Yeah, happy to spread some joy. We have enough negativity in our world today. Um, so your background is eclectic and your experience. So um, I'll start with a really small question. What is your mission in life or in your career? <laughs> Great, Emily. Thank you for that. So my mission is to bring joy back into education and the workplace. And I do that in four different ways. First of all, I travel all over the world, at least 100 days a year, uh, speaking to various schools, companies, organizations. Uh, secondly, I'd have the world's top reading engagement program online at thereadinghabit.com, which basically in just over two months shows parents daily ideas on how to get their kids to read more, read better, and most importantly, to love reading. Second of, or excuse me, third of all, uh, I uh, work with entrepreneurs and executives on how to create powerful presentations to get their audience to take the next step, whether that's to purchase their product or to donate to their cause, or with like a lot of executives, how to invest in the, one of their ideas. And then finally, I work with this great company called Cyber Smarties, founded by Dermot Hudner in Ireland, which is basically uh, a social media platform for kids ages 5 12 that teaches kids positive social media habits. So for example, if I were to type a message to you, I said, Emily, I think you're ugly. It won't let me send the message. And <laughs> get a pop-up that says, that's not a nice thing to say to Emily. Here are some positive things you could say to Emily. And the research shows that it frustrates kids so much that it slows them down that within three days, the kids stop sending negative messages altogether. And basically, the program has completely eliminated cyberbullying in Ireland. Now the program is in India. It's in Turkey, UAE, New Zealand. And I'm in charge of introducing it to the United States. I'm very excited can we apply that to all of the internet today? Because <laughs> that would be fantastic. Well, now we sell people so adults could really use it as well. Seriously, yeah. Three to five-year-olds. Some of, some of us act like three to five-year-olds, so that's amazing. Well, you know, you're doing, you know, small things, uh, it sounds like, in your in your life and in your career. So thank you so much for being on. It's a pleasure to have you. And I know that reading is a big thing for you. So just out of curiosity, what was the last thing you read? Uh, the last thing I read, I, I'm right. I'm reading this uh, five-part series by Robert Caro on uh, President Johnson. So I just read uh. number three uh, of the series, which was Master of the Senate. It's kind of depressing to me because I absolutely love biographies, especially presidential biographies. And while Johnson was a really effective president and a an effective politician, he was really a horrible human. <laughs> <laughs> want to take a shower after I read the book. So uh, I just read that. And of course, I've got about 10 books going at the same time. Yeah. One of my favorite authors, Doris Kearns Goodwin, knew knew him and and interviewed him in his last days and put together some, some uh, books on that. So yeah, that's fantastic. But he was, there's like famous stories of him just taking calls from the bathroom and grabbing people by the lapel and literally like shaking them and intimidating them. So yeah, he was a force to be reckoned with, for sure. Um, well, Doris Kearns Goodwin, there's a great story about her when she was working with LBJ and she was very young and he asked to take her on a picnic and she felt very nervous. She's like, I'm a young woman. Mm -hmm. and here he is. And uh, he looked at her and he said, you know, you remind me a lot of my mother. And she Aww. was really 
But uh, <laughs> Doris Kearns Goodwin is one of my favorite uh, historians. She's absolutely delight. Yeah, I love her. And I also just finished John Meacham's um, And There Was Light about Abraham Lincoln. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, his biography on Jackson was fantastic. He's always one of these. I, I mean, I always tell people, you should always watch during the presidential inauguration. All the networks always hire historians. And I love it because the historians give you all kinds of uh, historical facts. And so people like Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham and Douglas Brinkley, they'll give you all these cool little anecdotes. Uh, it's always the one nice part of usually in America is that for a couple of weeks, People aren't political and they help support <laughs> Yes, he has great stories and he's a storyteller, so he knows how to tell it, which um, which is amazing. So um, that's your reading preference. And then how do we get, what role does reading play in leadership? Well, that's a great question. So Emily, there are plenty of readers that don't necessarily become effective leaders, but I have never read about an effective leader in any industry that was not also an avid reader mm -hmm. with in uh, uh, you know the military, General Schwarzkopf was said to have been able to uh, read in four languages and be able to quote uh, Shakespeare uh, with no problem. Uh, a lot of people forget that when Kennedy was president, a reporter asked him what he was reading, and he said, "Oh, I'm reading this really cool spy novel about this guy named James Bond." Well, MGM heard that comment; they bought the rights to the James Bond series, and that's why we got. That. Didn't know that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, obviously in entertainment, uh, any of uh, the entertainers are reading scripts constantly. Uh, in in athletics, I always point this out to kids. I, I LeBron James, when he was about to play in the NBA Finals with Miami Heat, uh, I could have kissed him because they showed him in the locker room reading The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. Oh my gosh. Wow, you just did more with that, that photo than I'll ever do in my entire life excited <laughs> about reading. So really, if you if you really want to become uh, I you know that that extra edge, uh, you know, especially when I'm working with leaders, I say, well, we have to give you a, a diet of what you should be reading too. I mean, uh, obviously, people like uh, Elon Musk and Warren Buffett, uh, some of the wealthiest people in the world, they're still reading at least a book a day every single day, but they're not reading novels. They're reading things about uh, stocks or about uh, the economy, things like that. Uh, so you have to be very intentional about what you read as well. I'm always curious. So I, I'm obviously from business world and leadership. So I read a lot about that, especially time management and mindset, all these things. And then sometimes I'll interject a book that's just totally random. And like, for instance, I just got done with uh, Gone with the Wind, which I had never read, but I read that whole thing and it was obviously very different and it just took my mind in a different direction. So I was just curious, in your in your experience, is there times where it's like, oh yes, you actually want to use a different part of your brain? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, President Clinton talked about like some of his most trying times in his administration. He'd be reading, uh, you know, mystery novels. Fiction uh, <laughs> is really, actually, I thought it was really interesting um, President Bush uh, Jr. Um, after 9-11, one of the first things he did is he he uh, brought invited a whole bunch of Hollywood screenwriters to the White House to give him possible scenarios for the worst things that terrorists oh, do. Country. And I thought, wow, that's actually really, uh, that was really an insight, I thought, uh, you know, but I... I, I'm just like you. I'm an eclectic reader. You know, uh, actually, the tip I give to people all the time 
is read children's books. I read children's <laughs> constantly. I mean, I, you know, I read about 10 books a day now. Many of them are scratch and stuff and pop up, but I do read 10 books. <laughs> and you'll be amazed at how much more interesting you are at parties. Uh, before I go to parties, I'll go to Barnes and Noble or the library to the children's section and I'll read uh, a whole bunch of uh, children's books on things like, you know, I, uh, before I knew anything about Jackie Robinson, I read a children's book on Jackie Robinson and it gave me all kinds of great stories that I could share with other people about Jackie Robinson. I mean, I, mean, I love stories. Everything's about stories to me. And, uh, you know, I, I've always thought that some of the best lessons are from children's literature. So I, I'm right there with you, Emily. I think it's great to uh, to have a healthy, steady diet of fiction and nonfiction. I think with the children's books, too, they say if you really know a topic, you're able to say it simply. I never thought about this, but in a children's book, you have to you have to say it simply, not that you're talking down to anyone, but just so people can understand. So that's actually a really good spot to start if you're just getting introduced to a topic or a person. Yeah, um, that's one of my favorite stories was Ken Blanchard uh, was at a party in San Diego uh, and his wife introduced him to Spencer Johnson. She said, uh, uh, Ken, this is Spencer. He writes children's books. Spencer, this is my husband, Ken. He's a business professor. The two of you should write a business book written uh, for kids that uh, executives would read. And so they wrote the manager together. Oh, I thought. No, if you look, I mean, you come from the business world. Business people don't read 800 page books, they read 125 page parables by Patrick Lencioni or. Oh. Uh, uh, somebody like that, something that is quick on the plane. Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson, I think, has been on the bestseller list for 30 years. Uh, so adults are just like kids. So look for that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So speaking about leadership and executives, uh, we give presentations all the time. We also listen to a whole bunch of presentations. I have been on the receiving end of some very effective, very compelling, amazing presentations. And I have been through some where I'm like, where's the eject button? Like, get me out of here. And like, do I have to listen to, to uh, like, I don't care about their background and your company and blah, blah, blah. Just get me to what I want. So large topic again. But what would you say about giving engaging presentations? Wow. This do for a living. <laughs> so. Um, I have a structure that I train people with. It's not unique to me. I've seen one of my coaches, Pat Quinn, who I believe is the best speaking coach out there. Uh, he's wonderful, but I also had Lynn Eskridge help me. Uh, I've had lots of wonderful speaking coaches. And to me, uh, a properly formatted presentation should have four parts. First of all, it has to have an engaging introduction is my first eye. And then you get into the instructional part of your presentation. And then you have what I call the invitational part of your presentation, which is your call to action. And then finally, I believe that a, a superior presentation ends with something inspirational. So those are the four I's. Introduction, instruction, invitation, inspiration. I've heard other people, you know, say, uh, speak to the heart, then speak to the head, then speak to the hand, then finally wrap up with the heart again. There's lots of different ways to do it. Uh, but I, I would say that any of the bad presentations you've ever had to endure if you gave me that person for one day, I could <laughs> shape it into a much more compelling presentation. One day, that's all it takes. All right. Powerful framework. Can you give us just a quick example of like, you don't have to do the whole thing, but just a quick topic or breakdown of those four eyes? Well, so in, uh, in your introduction, basically, uh, well, Pat, who is one of my coaches, he said that you have to teach three things. You have to show people that you're, you're 
extraordinary. You also have to show people that you're ordinary. You have to really define your why in your introduction. I actually disagree with him. I don't believe you have to show that you're extraordinary because the fact that you're on stage already demonstrates that you're extraordinary. Really, the first tip I always give people is if you really want to connect with your audience, don't share your successes, share your failures, because not everybody in your audience has succeeded, but they've all failed. And the more, you know, Brene Brown's a wonderful uh, presenter and she talks about your authenticity. Uh, but I, I believe in showing your vulnerabilities. Uh, th those are the things that uh, people are interested in. So that would be your introduction. And that's the most important part of your presentation, no matter what, because if you don't connect within the first 10 to 15 seconds, people are going to tune you out. The instructional portion of your presentation is probably the least important part of your presentation. There's lots of research that shows the bun is more important than the burger. <laughs> you know, people tend to remember the beginning of your talk and the end of your talk, but they don't remember anything that they learned. What they do remember, you know, as Maya Angelou said, is how you made them feel. Yep. Uh, the third part of your presentation is the invitation. And this is where a lot of people mess up. Um, I know you see a lot of these presentations where the person is giving great content. All of a sudden, they turn to a different uh, channel. They say, okay, um, now, um, uh, if you'd like to learn more, here's my, uh, my <laughs> program, my coaching program from 1997. And the human brain is pretty sophisticated now. It knows when it's being taught, and it also knows when it's being sold. Yep. And this is a very important distinction uh, to make. And so the... The, the strategy I'm trying to show people is how do you get a person uh, in that invitation to not feel like they're being sold? And, and the way I teach it is within the instructional portion of your talk, uh, I call it whispering sweet nothings in people's. <laughs> Let me hear about this. How do, you, how do you do that, Danny? Well, so for example, let's say, um, uh, let's say you're selling your new book. Uh, so, so what you would say, Emily, is... Um, Danny is a person who was feeling out of sorts and didn't really understand how to have the proper mindset with his business. And he wrote to me that just after one reading of my book, he was able to uh, ex in introduce. So what I've done is I never sold you anything. What I just did is I just mentioned my book. And now um, the brain of people in your audience is like, oh, Emily has a book? Hmm. I wonder how much your book costs. I wonder if she's going to offer the book. And so by the time you get to the invitation, people are like, oh, I was hoping she had the book on sale today. That's what we're trying to do during the presentation. And then um, finally, the last part is inspiration. And, you know, I always judge movies on, is this movie keeping my attention the whole time? There's very few movies that are just an excellent beginning, middle, and end. I, I, a couple of the movies I think do it perfectly are The Silence of the Lambs has a great opening, it has a great middle, and the ending is one of the best last lines ever to a movie. Raiders of the Lost Ark is an awesome opening. It's action-packed throughout, but then the ending, when, they, when you find out what happened to the Ark, is wonderful. And so that's what I really want to do is... Uh, I want to make sure I'm ending with that that audience. Uh, I, I'm totally influencing them somehow. I, I'm a funny person. I like to do a lot of jokes. And in one of my presentations, I end with something very heartwarming, you know, and people are basically with <laughs> and like, oh, that's so that's so inspiring. Well, that's that's what I meant for it to be. This is really where I'm a little bit different than a lot of uh, 
coaches, Emily. I I was judging a speaking competition recently, over 1,300 presentations, not a single funny one. Everybody gave sad stories. I mean, I was about to jump off a cliff afterwards. It was driving me crazy. And, you know, I'm not going to say there's nothing. To, it's it's not wrong to to give sad talks. I mean, there's plenty of research that shows it's a very emotional way to get people to take the next step. Here's the three reasons why I don't like doing that. First of all, Emily, the world just came out of a global pandemic. There are a lot of people hurting in this world. I don't think people have to hear another sad story. People are sad already. Yeah, we're people need some hope. Second of all, you know, when we're putting these presentations together, I call it uh, a stump speech. You'll hear other people call it a signature talk. Call it peanut butter and jelly. It doesn't matter what you call it. But basically, this is your introduction speech that you can say again and again to get people uh, interested in you. Well, the question I ask people is, do you really want to tell that sad story a hundred times? Mm. I mean, for, I have a friend and his, his daughter uh, was killed in a school shooting. He's told that story over a thousand times. I mean, you have to be a stronger person yeah. about the, the worst moment of your life. But the third thing is, this is where people get angry with me, but this is, this is my sincere belief. I have one objective. I want my audience smiling, laughing, feeling better than when they came in to see me speak. And there's something very noble about getting people to want to laugh. You know, I can tell the same joke again and again. There's there's nobility in that. I think when you tell the same sad story again and again, after the 20th time you've told it, those are crocodile tears. I find it very inauthentic when I hear people giving me that depressing story. Oh, you know, and it, and it really, it rubs me the wrong way. I, th I think there's something very manipulative about that. So, and again, research shows it is very effective, but that's not the way I work. I want people leaving, feeling a lot better about themselves. I heard Robin Williams say, when someone laughs, it's a very strange thing and a very beautiful, wonderful thing. But if you think about like a human laughing, it's a strange sound, but it, he's, he loves it. So obviously he was a, uh, a genius comedian. Um, and you mentioned someone's signature talk. So you kind of opened your intro in a similar way. And does that stay the same? And then do you adjust other three elements or other three eyes, depending on your audience and depending on what their objective is? How do you, uh, are you adaptable with that stuff? Or is it pretty much, hey, you kind of stick to these, uh, these four things? Yeah, I, I, I think that the, the format works for anything. Um, and while people might have their one signature talk, I mean, I have 50 completely. I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it's, and when I work with people, I actually love working. That's the, the joy about being a coach is I get to see things in people's presentations where I'm like, oh, we could do this with this and make this totally better. And when they actually listen, <laughs> that's why I avoided, I avoided coaching for so long, Emily, because I, I have a very high standard. I want people to succeed. And it bothers me when people don't succeed. And, and when I coach speakers, usually they don't succeed because they didn't do what I suggested to them. So I'll give you an example. I was I was uh, working with two gentlemen. Both were at a speaking competition. Uh, one gentleman used the line that I gave him. The other one didn't use the line that I gave him. And the guy that used the line, he won the competition. So he was a, he was a prisoner. He had been in prison. And... He was trying to get a funny line. I said, well, did you ever give speeches when you were in prison? And he said, oh, yeah. I'm like, 
well, there's your line. Say, I used to speak in prison. After all, I always had a captive audience. <laughs> now, that's not like a huge laugh out loud line. And that's not what you have to do. All you have to do is to get people to smile, to smirk, to feel like, oh, that was that was nice. It kept me engaged. Meanwhile, the other gentleman I worked with, I work with a lot of engineers because engineers are, are known to be a little bit drier. And so they always come to me and ask, well, how can you make me much more interesting in my presentation daddy. So I'll work with a lot of Indian engineers. And I had uh, one gentleman, I'm not going to give you his real name, but he had a, a, a kind of a difficult name. His name was uh, Majid Maharaji, something like that. And so I said, well, why don't you start off your presentation and say, hello, my name is Majid Maharaji. Gee, I sure hope I'm pronouncing that. Sure. <laughs> he got you laugh. He didn't use the line, Emily. It's real- oh, yeah, it's a great one. Wow. Oh, so, but again, all you're trying to do is to connect with your audience. And, and it's just like you were saying about Robin Williams. There's something very admirable about that, getting people to to feel uh, this connection with you, uh, a bond. And that's what I think a really good presentation should be doing. All right. How? Um, so we went through engaging presentations. If someone is Scared of public speaking, which is a common thing. And I I have this too. When I have to do presentations, like literally, this is my podcast. Sometimes when I'm doing my own freaking podcast, it's my show, I'll get a little nervous before going on. What would you say to people who either are in a role where they have to give presentations and they have to be up in front of people and are the most comfortable with it? Um, or people who, you know, are wanting to go in a field where they're speaking a lot and they just want to um, get better at at their presentation skills. How do you go about Stage fright. Three things, Emily. First of all, you're in good company. President Reagan had horrible stage fright. He vomited before every speech he ever gave. Uh, Barbara Streisand is said to have some of the worst stage fright of any performer. So you're in good company. You're not alone on that. Uh, second of all, people always ask me, how do you become a better speaker? And there's two things I always tell them. First of all, you got to watch lots of different speakers. So I watch at least 10 speakers a day. I watch them in front of large groups, in front of small groups, in front of men, and in front of women, international, national. Uh, I'll watch uh, I'll watch televangelists. I'll watch politicians. I'll watch comedians. Um, here's a, a quick little strategy I, I share with people is I watch a lot of award shows because when <laughs> a person wins the Academy Award, they only have 40, 45 seconds to give a presentation. I want to see if they actually... Use that time in a way that connects with the audience. And they're amped up. They're like, um, yeah. most of the time, they just waste their time. They're like, it's just a, a waste of time. But there was a couple of years ago, um, I, I might be mistaking his name, but uh, so the Academy Award was for best film editing. And it went to a guy, I think his name was Joe Walker. He's British. Now it's film editing. So you got all of Hollywood's elite there. They don't really care about film editing. We're not even paying attention. And he gets up there, and this is how he starts his presentation. He says, a lot of people don't know this, but the term Academy Award nominee, when used properly, can be used as an insult. Well, now he's got everybody's attention. He said, for example, yesterday I got in an argument with my 17-year-old daughter, and she said, well, Academy Award nominee Joan Walker... All of a sudden, everybody in the audience is laughing. I watch him get off stage. Brad Pitt wants to meet him. Sandra Bullock wants to meet him. I'm like, man, that's the power of a great presentation. So the first way to uh, to get better is to watch other people. And then the second way is you got to do the, the, the work. 
I mean, one of my mentors was Jim Rohn, and he used to say, you can't pay other people to do your push-ups. So you to get better and comfortable. And with your podcast, Emily, the more you do it, the more comfortable you feel. And then the third thing I would share with you, I was speaking to a school in India. And after I gave the presentation, everybody gave me a big standing ovation. And I had a six-year-old boy with tears in his eyes looking up at me. And I noticed his left arm was missing. He had just a stump there. And he looked up at me and he said, how can somebody like me succeed? And so I crouched down at his level, Emily. And I said, well, when I was your age, uh, I went to 18 different schools before I was 12 years old. The kids used to make fun of me. A lot of the teachers used to make fun of me because I stuttered. And finally, I went to a school where a teacher she sat with me and she would sing things to me and I would sing back. And I found I didn't have my stutter when I sang. Uh, it's yeah. kind of like King's speech. And eventually I, I lost my stutter and I became a swan. <laughs> I looked into that boy's eyes and I said, isn't it interesting that the little boy everybody said was stupid who couldn't talk right now gets paid vast sums of money to travel the world to do what? To speak. Yeah. And he had the biggest grin from ear to ear. And so anybody that's listening, including you, Emily, that has stage fright, it is a skill. It can be taught. I know this from personal experience. And uh, you're in great company. What's the biggest surprise you've had? So you've worked with a number of speakers at various levels and stages of their speaking career. Um, what's the biggest surprise you've seen where it was general, genuinely like, oh, my gosh, like I didn't know. I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know that could happen. <laughs> well... I, I'm not going to get his name, but there's a, a Super Bowl winning quarterback that I uh, worked with that it, it amazes me because he's one of my all-time favorite players, and he was known for always being uh, cool under pressure, and he was absolutely terrified on stage. <laughs> I, basically, it got to the point where I said, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. I don't want you looking at the audience at all because they don't care about that. They just want to be near you. And they want to hear your story. So you can look down and tell your stories. And you know you can take pictures with everybody afterwards when you're nice and comfortable. But I don't want you uh, stressing on stage. And that's what he does now. And he's fantastic. He gives some of my, my favorite sports stories. Um, yeah, so that was probably <laughs> the biggest shock to me that somebody that was so cool and collected under pressure in one arena could be so petrified speaking, but I mean, he's not unique. I mean, they said, Jerry Seinfeld used to have a good routine on this. He said, uh, Americans' number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. So that means if you're ever at a funeral, people would rather be in, in the coffin. <laughs> awesome. All right. So who do you help? How do you help them? Where can people find you? Well, um, I help uh, primarily... Um, People just like you, uh, Emily, people that aren't speakers, people that are entrepreneurs or they're executives, anybody that's interested in trying to create a more powerful presentation. Um, I work with some very famous people, but I, I, I typically work with um, just people that, that really want to uh, make a significant positive first impression with whatever their audience is. Uh, if you go to dannybrussell.com, my last name is really easy to remember how to spell. It's spelled like Braz Cell. <laughs> no, no, I never took any grief over that as a child. 
NeighborCell.com. But as a thank you for uh, for listening to me today, I wanted to give everybody a couple of freebies. When you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, again, freegiftfromdanny.com, I want to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. This is a book I wrote for an elementary school principal who was trying to keep his faculty and staff positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept. I give you an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. <laughs> so I also give you a children's picture book recommendation. And <laughs> concept. You can read that in five minutes. I'm also going to give everybody access uh, to a five-day reading challenge I did last summer for about 700 parents around the world, where every day for a week, for an hour, uh, I give you all kinds of tips to get your kids to read more, read better, and most importantly, to love reading. Uh, the reason that is, is because I find schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a person how to read if they never want to read? Right. I teach people why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never <laughs> had to tell a kid, go play a video game. I never want to have to tell a kid, go read. I want them to choose to do it because they love it. And so uh, if you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, you get a couple of uh, goodies that way. And really, again, Emily, I just wanted to thank you for having me. I, I really love everything that you're doing, and I, I keep on spreading that joy around the planet. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on. And Listeners, you heard, if you have a kid who wants to learn how to read and be a reader, if you're an executive who works on presentations, if you're already on the speaking circuit, Danny has a lot of great resources. You can hear and see he's a great guy. So we'll have all of that information in the show notes. But Danny, thank you so much. Thanks, Emily. God bless. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 